during this book study, our general practice has been to read one chapter and discuss one spiritual discipline at a time. In this session, I'm departing from that pattern a little by focusing on two disciplines instead of one. And there's a reason for that, a reason that Richard Foster himself actually alludes to in his book. On page 121, in the midst of his discussion about the discipline of submission, he says this, Submission and service function concurrently. Hence, much of the practical outflow of submission will come in the next chapter. In other words, when Foster talks about submission, what he's referring to is an interior attitude and posture. It's an attitude of self-denial, or as he sometimes calls it, of revolutionary subordination. Submission relates to, to the spirit with which we interact with and relate to other people. It refers to a person's willingness to, to forego their own opinions and desires and instead prioritize the opinions and the needs and desires of those around them. Submission is a matter of the heart. But in practice, what it looks like, at least what it looks like most often, is service. So in this session, we'll be discussing those two together. First, we'll look briefly at what Foster has to say about submission, then discuss his teaching on service, and finally, we'll conclude by asking how we can grow in these two very Christ-like but also very difficult disciplines. In fact, when talking about submission, one of the first things that we need to acknowledge is that it is incredibly difficult and not at all popular. It wasn't popular during Jesus' day, and it isn't popular during our own day as well. We don't like to set aside our own will for the sake of others. We don't naturally take pleasure in sacrificing our own thoughts or plans so that we can follow the thoughts and plans of other people. Just think about all of the different contexts in your life in which you're required to negotiate different people's opinions. Who in the family gets to decide where to eat or what movie to watch on movie night? What happens at work when you and a coworker have a disagreement? over a new opportunity or, or a task that needs to be accomplished. How many people in that situation gladly submit their own opinions to the opinions of their coworkers? Or just think about all the opportunities for conflict that exist in churches. How fiercely Christians sometimes fight over differences of preference and opinion. To quote Richard Foster, almost all church fights and splits occur because people do not have the freedom to give in to each other. We quarrel and we fight and we go our separate ways because few of us have learned the discipline of submission. And yet, according to Foster, despite our hesitancy to submit to others, submission, it's not just some dreary moral duty that we have to learn how to grin and bear. You just got to submit. Quite the contrary. Like all the spiritual disciplines, submission is actually a means of experiencing truer freedom. What submission brings, Foster says, is liberation, freedom from the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. The anxiety we, we feel when we think that everything depends on us, convincing others to do what we want. And, and the anger and resentment that plagues us 
When we feel like others have disrespected us or failed to act the way they should. Submission, it might seem like some impossible moral demand, but in reality, learning to deny yourself and submit to others is a road towards personal liberation. As Foster puts it at one point, self-denial means the freedom to give way to others. One of the things that I appreciate about Foster's chapter on submission is that he shows not only that submission is something that's taught throughout the Bible, but also just how revolutionary Jesus' own teaching on the subject was. In the ancient world, just as today, submission, well, submission was simply a way of life for some people, whether they desired it or not. Slaves were subject to the authority of their masters. Women were expected to submit to their husbands. And, and children were taught to do what they were told. So it wasn't like submission didn't exist. But what Jesus had to say about it was revolutionary because he wasn't just reinforcing these natural hierarchies, these, these compulsory authorities. What he taught was willing, voluntary submission. And he insisted that submission began with those on top. It wasn't just those who were powerless who were told to deny themselves and put the needs of others ahead of their own. That was a commandment for everyone. Submit yourselves to one another, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, that was a countercultural message then, and, and it's a countercultural message now. But whether we realize it or not, the discipline of submission is the path to genuine freedom. And the outward expression of submission, as Foster notes, is perhaps best seen in the discipline of service. Now, much like submission, service is something that brings freedom. To quote Richard Foster again, service enables us to say no to the world's games of promotion and authority. It abolishes our need and desire for a pecking order. Now, that doesn't mean that every act of service promotes or, or flows from some kind of freedom. In an important section near the beginning of his chapter, Foster makes an important distinction between true service and, and what he calls self-righteous service. It is completely possible to behave in ways that seem like service but are in fact driven by a self-righteous mentality. True service, on the other hand, is something that comes from humility and it's empowered by the Spirit of God rather than just by our own efforts to be people who serve. I also appreciate how later in the chapter, Foster gives a number of examples of true service to, to keep our discussion from being too idealistic and abstract. For instance, he, he talks about what he calls the service of hiddenness, which refers to serving people in such a way that doesn't draw any attention or acknowledgement to ourselves, or precisely serving them by not feeling the need to draw attention or acknowledgement. And later he talks about the service of guarding other people's reputations by refusing to indulge in gossip or slander. Again, and I think this is really insightful, another form of service he mentions is the service of being served. 
which might sound kind of odd, but just think about how often we tend to avoid letting other people help us because we don't want to be a burden or an inconvenience. In fact, Foster says, it is an act of submission and service to allow others to serve us. Now, there's a lot of helpful, practical discussion of different ways you can serve. And I, I encourage you to spend some time in that portion of the chapter, especially reflecting on those different ways. But before we end our video discussion, I do want to briefly address one other question. And that is the question of how. How can we embrace and how can we live into these two disciplines that are so very difficult? How can we, in our culture of competition and rivalry, how can we become people of submission and service? Now, at one point, Richard Foster notes that many times what holds us back from serving one another is fear. We are hesitant to submit and hesitant to serve because we're afraid that if we do, then we won't be able to make sure that things go as they should, or, or we won't be able to protect our own interests, or people won't respect us as they should. We don't submit and we don't serve because we're afraid we'll get taken advantage of. Which is why I, I would suggest that the only way to embrace this life is to address those fears. Now, you remember that story in the Gospel of John when Jesus, he gets up from the dinner table to wash his disciples' feet? It's a very memorable scene of radical service. And later, Jesus tells his disciples that he expects them to follow his example in the way they serve one another. But you could ask, what enabled Jesus to serve in that way? How was it possible for him to put aside his own dignity and take on that form of being a servant? I think the answer to that question lies in what John tells us. Right before Jesus begins to wash their feet in John chapter 13, Jesus, he says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, how was Jesus able to so willingly take on that posture of his humble service? Because he knew who he was to the Father. He knew that, as John says, he knew that the Father had given him all things. He knew that he was returning to the Father. And so he had nothing to fear. He didn't have to worry about his reputation or people taking advantage of him or whether or not he would get the recognition he deserved. He could serve in this way because he was secure in his Father's love. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that by faith, you and I, we are so united with Jesus that everything that is true of him is true of us as well. In Jesus, the New Testament says, we too are beloved sons and daughters of God. In Jesus, the Father has given us all things into our hands, and we have been promised that we will share in his inheritance. And regardless of how we are treated right now, we know that we too, like Jesus, that we 
are going to the Father and that he will clothe us in honor. So how then, how can we, how can we submit? How can we become servants? By reminding ourselves of who we are and what our future is in Jesus. That is what will free us from the fears that hold us back. That is what will give us the freedom to serve. 